Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 688 for June 12, 2021, and I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchotts, and he's back with Programming by Stealth, number 118 of 10. How are you doing today, Bart? <laughs> Obviously, it's been too close to a WWDC oh. when you see X's as 10s. <laughs> Did I say 10? <laughs> All right. Well, close enough. Close enough. We're just going to run with it. We're having too much fun. <laughs> or, or you're very fond of Roman numerals. Anyway, yes, 118. Goodness gracious me. So, yeah. We're we're closing in on uh, on finishing up Git, aren't we? We really, well, really we've are. we've sort of finished Git, but we're now we're finishing GitHub. Yeah. I mean, where, where do you draw the line, right? It's still Git, but it's it's the optional extras. It's the fun bonus bit or whatever. In fact, today is a real fun bonus bit. So... Part of me was tempted to squeeze this in last time when we were learning about GitHub, because this is an entire episode about one single feature in GitHub. And it is a it is a pure GitHub feature, right? It's not a Git feature. It's a GitHub feature powered by Git. But it's something called GitHub Pages, which has the wonderful advantage of being basically free web hosting. And you get to manage Yeah, you get to manage all of your code with Git. Well you don't just get to, you have to. (laughs) <laughs> like it well, you not. don't have to have github pages but if you do have github pages you have to manage them with git bing 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 now it's basic right it's um I, i've been i did a bit of reading on it they have their 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 readme is kind of interesting because they say we have soft limits if you if you make more than 100 updates to your web page in an hour we'll probably send you an email asking you to back off if you use more than, was it 10, was it, no, it was 100 gigabytes of bandwidth in a month, we, we, we'll kindly ask you to perhaps consider going to a more professional package. And I'm thinking, hmm. okay, that, that, I think that covers most people most of the time. <laughs> what, how, how much uh, bandwidth? I think it was 100 gigs a month. Okay, but I mean, you know, my uh, my time shifter clock's going to be real popular when I get it finished. So, you know, we're, I may have to worry about that. We'll see. I hope so. Great problem to have. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, I, I, how does how does this actually work? Well, okay. So we'll we'll back up a a little bit first, just to continue to set expectations, right? So when I said basic. This is not a LAMP stack, so Linux, Apache, MySQL, PHP. So you can't install WordPress or Drupal or something like that into GitHub pages, right? It is for client-side web technologies. In other words, it's for everything we've learned so far. It's for HTML, CSS, JavaScript at the end of the day. Okay, okay. It's our needs very well. So the three use cases that I have generally seen for GitHub pages are... the people will use it for one or more of hosting a project's homepage. So you're using GitHub to host some cool thing you're writing, right? Some little useful library or something. Well, you're going to have a homepage for that little useful library or something. So why not just host the homepage straight on the straight in the same Git repository as the thing itself? So an example might, I th- I'm pretty sure that if you poke deep enough, a lot of stuff like moment.js and stuff, the moment.js homepage is actually on GitHub. Um, hmm. GitHub pages. Another very common use case is if you're not going to host the whole homepage, host the docs, because a lot of documentation is written using annotations inside the source code. So you have a little a little script effectively that runs and takes your comments and turns them into pretty HTML pages. I mean, I always use uh, ESDoc to do that. Um, and I think you taught us how to do that. 
about 700 years ago. We mentioned it in, an, in one of the sort of the bonusy episodes. Yeah, we didn't spend massive amount of time focusing on it, but you're right. We did. We did sort of show we it. We talked off. about how to annotate your code in order to self-create that those docu- that documentation, right? Exactly. And so if you, you if you have the actual source of the documentation right there in your code, why not publish it to GitHub Pages while you're at it? So there's a lot hmm. of documentation on GitHub Pages. Okay. And then the third use case is if your app is entirely client-side, just publish the app. Like, you're, all the source code is there in GitHub anyway. Why not just make it live? So when you say client-side, you're talking about there's no server-side code written, and we haven't learned how to write server-side code. Therefore, e.g., Therefore, QED, yeah. everything we know how to do fits into this uh, way of hosting our, our web apps. Correct, correct. And in fact, we're kind of at the jumping off point where we're about to switch sides. So everything so far in programming by stealth has been on the client side. So, you know, we started with HTML, which is a 100% client side technology. Then we looked at CSS, which is 100% client side technology. And JavaScript is more general. You can have JavaScript everywhere. Like JavaScript just exists everywhere these days. But we have only used it in the browser. So we've only used JavaScript on the client side. So, yeah, so would it, all of our skills. Would it be a true statement? Uh, so not, I mean, I'm just making this up as though right. this was a real example. Um, if, for example, you had been working on your clock code and you have completely broken it, then that's what your web page would show, would be ah. this broken version because it's live, right? Only if you push the broken version to your default branch. If you kept, oh, okay. If you keep it on the broken, I should just name my branches broken. That's what I really should do. <laughs> I, well, I, I go gotta, with whip, but it is a euphemism for broken. <laughs> um, what about if I've got a tag to a like I've got a release v1 tag? Mm-hmm. Can I have that be what's showing on the web page until I get v2 working? There are mechanisms for doing that. That would not be the default behavior, but okay. If you want to get advanced well, enough and into the weeds enough. Yes, you can. Okay. Okay. You're going to have to do a little bit of independent study on that one because I'm not taking us down that rabbit hole. Okay. In fact, there's a lot of things. GitHub Pages is actually, it's easy. It's very, very easy to do the simple stuff. Very easy. But if you want to go down into the weeds, ooh, it goes a long way. It goes a long, (laughs) long, 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 long way down and actually is extremely powerful if you're prepared to put the work in. But we're we're going to keep it simple here because at the end of the day we've learned how to write front you know client side cool stuff. We're going to learn how to host client side cool stuff, and I'm going to mention the other stuff and some links in fact to help you navigate any weeds you should choose to voluntarily wade into. But over to you, as it were. <laughs> okay. All right. So we'll know that things are there. Exactly. So. I'm going to start by pulling back a little bit because this this helps in two ways, actually. So it helps us understand what GitHub pages can and can't do. And it will whet our appetite for what's coming after we finish our exploration of Git because we are about to switch from the browser to the, to the server. So understanding the difference between the two helps us understand where GitHub pages ends. But where GitHub pages ends is actually where we're about to start. So it's kind of like, ooh. Yeah. So hmm. there is, right, so the, there are three approaches to creating a web page you can visit in your web browser. On the two extremes, you have static sites and dynamic sites. And in the middle, 
is this weird thing called a static site generator. And to understand okay. the static site generator, we're going to zoom in on it by going to the two si- the two outsides first and then meeting in the middle. And the reason we need to do that is because GitHub Pages is a static site generator. So that's why we need to understand what they are. So let's start by ask by reminding ourselves what it is a web browser actually does. So I go to my web browser, I type in www.podfeet.com and I hit enter. What happens? Well, the browser sends a request to the relevant web server for a specific URL. The web server figures out the appropriate HTML for that URL. The web server then returns that HTML to the browser and the browser renders the HTML. Now, step two there is doing an awful lot of work in that description. The web server figures out the appropriate HTML. Does it now? Uh, and then the, uh, magic occurred. Exactly. So th- that figures out is where all the work is, right? So to understand what's going on, there's actually two points of view that matter. There's the developer point of view and there's the server's point of view. So developers care about what they write. Do they write HTML or do they write something that becomes HTML? Is there a level of indirection for the developer? Is what the developer cares about. Am I just writing the HTML as I want it delivered? Or am I writing something that either becomes HTML or creates HTML? So that's, there's a couple of different ways you can write something that creates HTML. You could be writing a markdown that gets turned into HTML, or you could be writing a mustache template that creates HTML, right? They are both actually similar to each other there. The real power is you could write an app that outputs html which is how wordpress works markdown you don't have to create a a, uh, an app for its html to be interpreted do you uh you someone has to right you need to take that markdown and run it through something that will spit out okay so wordpress is doing that for me wordpress yes so wordpress is an app that does a whole bunch of work using mysql database as a back end and a whole bunch of a lot of code Many, 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 many lines okay. of code. And it's it just magically HTML. works for me. <laughs> oh, exactly, right? That's the power of, of, of something like WordPress or Drupal or Joomla, one of these content management systems, right? They're doing a lot of heavy lifting to make the figures out the appropriate HTML. <laughs> There's a lot going on there. So, well, from a developer point of view, we just care about what we type. Are we typing the HTML that the user sees in their browser or are we typing something that somehow makes the HTML the user sees in their browser. So that's the two point, the two things from the developer point of view. The web server has a very different opinion on life. The web server basically has to know, do I just take the HTML or do I have to actually calculate the HTML? So the web server basically is asking, can I just, you know, lift and push, take it from the file system and return it? Or do I have to execute something? That's what the web mm. server cares about. Okay. So, Let's start on the simple end of the spectrum. Static sites. The developer writes HTML. The web server reads the HTML from a file and returns it to the browser. Right? We call this static content because every browser accessing the same URL gets the same content. It's just a file that the server reads and returns. Everything so you've done podfeed. so podfeed.com com looks the same if you go to it or if I go to it. If it were static, yes. 
It isn't static? It isn't static because if I'm logged in, I see buttons that the regular user That's doesn't true. see. That's true. Right, 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 right. Okay. I can see draft posts. So because it has admin capability, yeah. it isn't the same. Correct. Okay. So that's not a static site. Got it. Yeah. So you didn't write a, a single HTML file that you put on your server that is podfeet.com. Okay. So a static web page, you write an HTML file, the web server just returns it. The web server has no work to do. But that's everything we've done so far has worked like that, right? We write an index at HTML, we put all of our code in there. And yeah, sure, we can make use of images and we can make use of other things. But ultimately, the HTML, the browser shows people, we wrote it, right? Every single character we wrote. So that's a static site. The other okay. end of the spectrum completely then is a dynamic site, right? The developer writes code that somehow produces HTML and the web server has to execute the code each and every time a request comes in. So we call this dynamic content because depending on what the code does, every request could result in completely different HTML. So the web server gets a request that executes code and the code creates HTML. So hmm. basically this is web 2.0, right? When I go to Twitter, I see my timeline, right? You go to Twitter, you see your timeline. You look at the address bar, we are in exactly the same place. We're at the exact same URL. So the reason we see different things is because the web server executes the same code, but with a different input. The different input being, I have a session cookie and you have a session cookie and my session cookie is not your session cookie. So I see my stuff and you see your stuff. So the session cookie is generated at the because we've logged in in that case. Mm -hmm. So it must always require some sort of action on our human part for that to be true for dynamic site. No, I mean, if we go to if we go to Twitter.com and neither of us are logged in, we do see the same thing. No, we won't actually because it will use our IP address to decide where it thinks we are and show us different things. Without logging in? Without logging in, it will use your IP address to infer whether it should give you an Irish ad, a French ad, a oh, okay. Spanish ad, Chinese oh, ad. Okay. All right. And the simplest web page in the world you could write is a random number generator, right? It's just a PHP script that says echo math.random blah. Every time yeah. we hit that URL, each of us will see a different page, even though we're not logged in. Okay. All right. Got you. The point is... The web server has to do work every time. The web server doesn't just hand back something you wrote. The web server executes something you wrote. And the result of executing what you wrote is what comes back. So the okay, developer writes HTML maker. The developer doesn't write HTML. It's got one it. level of interaction. So that's a okay. dynamic site. So they're the two easy extremes, right? Sitting right there in the middle being a weird guy is the static site generator or SSG. So the developer writes code that somehow gets translated into HTML by a third player we've introduced into the game here. The static site generator isn't the web server or the web browser. It's a third thing. It's, it's a third actor in the system. So you write some code. You then feed that code into the static site generator the static site generator spits out HTML files, and those HTML files are what you give to the web server. Oh, so by the time it gets to the web server, it is a static site, but it's yeah. been generated by a static site generator where dynamic content has been input? 
something has been done to relieve you of donkey work. <laughs> That's right. Okay. And that something can range from very small changes, right? So you could have a static site generator that takes... So you could write all of your stuff in HTML. And the only thing the SSG does is build a table of contents for you. So you might just create actual HTML files and just put a placeholder in that says, talk goes here. And all the SSG does is figure out, okay, you have six pages. Here's their titles. I'm just going to put into the sidebar six links, right? That could be all the static site generator does. Or a very, 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 very common type of static site generator is a markdown converter. The input is a markdown. The output is HTML. So you write in Markdown, the static site generator turns the Markdown into HTML, the HTML gets uploaded to the web server, the web server serves the HTML as a static site. Are there services out there that do that? Yeah. I've never seen that. Yeah, it, you can buy apps. Uh, well, I mean, technically speaking, we could use ByWord or any of our apps as, as static site generators, right? You hit File Export well, no, they don't, to HTML. They don't generate websites. If, they ex- if, they export, if you say Export to HTML and a .html file comes out, that's a website. Oh, you're hurting my head. That's HTML. That's a file that could go on a website. Okay, but a website, as far as I'm concerned, a website is a collection of HTML files. Yeah. So why wouldn't wouldn't you count that? Okay. So, uh, yeah, Yeah, that's true. A website can be on my, I mean, I could push it out as a web web page. I'll give you a web page, maybe. Well, I mean, with a small amount, you could take ByWord and a small amount of, Apple script or a small automator action to run it a few times against a few files and spit out a few files. And you could use Hazel to automatically, every time the file changes, automatically FTP it to your website. And hey, presto, you've now written your own very, very simplistic publisher. Yeah. Okay. I use Ulysses and it had never occurred to me to that uh, I could export as HTML, but I just did. And it down it created a CSS file for me and it, I've written all the markdown, and now I double-click the HTML, the index, and there it is on a web page. Okay. Looking pretty, yeah. Yeah, so what do we call that functionality that I just that's, used? That's a static site generator, right? Static so you site have, generator, okay. Yeah. So you've taken something that isn't HTML, you've run it through the SSG, and now you have mm-hmm. HTML. And the web server, from the web server's point of view, it's just static HTML. But from your point of view as the developer, you got to write in shiny markdown and didn't have to worry your pretty head about any HTML. <laughs> right, so that's the power yeah. of the SSG. It sits there, sort of in the middle. It's like I can do okay. some work. The developer writes something easy. The SSG adds some smarts, and the output is a static site that the web server can serve without having to do any thinking. Because static sites are so easy for a web server to serve. Right, it just goes, "Oh, you want that URL? It's that file over there. Great, no thinking." So, if there might be some lag from when you give it. The, the code in some other format until that static site is generated. But once that static site is generated, that would be a very, very, very fast web page, right? Correct. So I happen to know, because John Gruber talks about these things in his podcast, that Daring Fireball is, run, is built with an SSG. Huh. So because he doesn't have comments or any of that kind of faffery, his page is just a bunch of content that is only updated when he writes a new post. So he and he writes only writes three words on each post, so right, exactly. that's why it's, that's another reason it's really fast. Well, right, but as a static site generator, it wouldn't matter, right? Because as soon as he runs the SSG, it becomes static HTML. Yeah. So even if he were to write essays, it would still be the same effect. So if you don't want Web 2.0 stuff like comments and stuff, you can actually make extremely efficient websites with static site generators. 
that hmm. are very, very hard to to take down with, you know, the slash dot effect, as we used to say. Okay. So that's sort of where these things fit in the big scheme of things. And GitHub Pages is a static site generator. And in fact, it's a very specific static site generator. It's an open source, or rather, GitHub Pages uses an open source static site generator called Jekyll. J-E-K-Y-L. Oh, I've heard you refer to Jekyll pretty often and could never figure out what you were talking about. Right. Okay. So the way GitHub Pages works is like this. Your code is committed to some defined place within your GitHub repository. More on that later. The code is processed by Jekyll to generate a static website. And that static website is published to the web by GitHub. So you trigger okay. the process with a commit... Your whatever you committed gets sent to Jekyll. Whatever comes out of Jekyll gets published to the web. So that's why there's a small lag, right? When we publish the show notes for Programming by Stealth, there's a small lag between us finishing the notes and you hitting refresh frantically and you seeing the result of hitting refresh. Because what's happening and, and is... And the longer lag is usually caused by the fact that I've screwed it up and I never know whether the, the time I'm waiting for it to lag is because I've actually pushed the wrong branch or whatever, or whether it's that lag. Very it's really not very long, so it's usually me. Well, you're, you're right. I mean, over time, as computers have gotten faster, GitHub pages used to take 10, 15 minutes sometimes, just for simple changes. Okay, but okay so nowadays, it's not just me. Yeah, nowadays, it, it's lightning fast for, for the simple stuff we do. So that is what GitHub pages is. It's a static site generator where git is the git commits are the input jekyll does the translation and then you get free web hosting on the other end that the output of jekyll is just hosted on the web for you so follow the money for me bert this seems like a lot of work and time and energy and and server costs for github owned by microsoft it is but there are the string attached is unless you pay microsoft you can only use github pages for public repositories so if you want to use GitHub pages for private repositories where you only want to publish the resulting website and not all of the underlying code, then you have to pay Microsoft for a pro membership, which is how GitHub okay. pages works, right? We give so, you the basics for free so that you understand what you're getting. But if you want power features, pay. Let me make sure I heard that because my mind got tangled up for a minute. Mm -hmm. if, you, if your code is open source, then you get this for free? Not if it's open source, if it's if your repository is publicly visible. Publicly visible. Okay, so like you've got some private stuff um, and those private ones would not be able to have these public web pages. Correct. Whereas if you pay Microsoft, you can have a private repository where all the code in the repository is private, but it can still have a public web page. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Now, you get lots and lots and lots of other fancy pants features when you pay Microsoft, right? What you're getting is the CICD and you're all the, the advanced stuff that you would need as a for-profit business. So it's actually... CICD, very, again, was continuous integration, continuous deployment? Or development. Take your pick. There's a whole big okay. argument whether the last D is development or deployment. So you can't be wrong. Okay. <laughs> You've just picked a side in an argument you don't understand. But other than that, you can't be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, the, the business model is basically home users really don't need all that advanced stuff. stuff so we can just have the, the servers can do that on the fumes. The people who want the advanced features are the people who are using this as a business, you know, to, 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 to drive something real. They have budget. So the, so the fact that they 
have uh, business users is what lets the rest of us have it for for free. Correct. It's it, yes, exactly. And apparently enough people do. Yeah, and again, it comes down to resourcing, right? The amount of resources needed to drive the free stuff is a tiny fraction of the amount of resources needed for the heavy lifting, which is what the people are paying for. Hmm. It's okay. A good business model. Because it seems like this would be. It seems like this would be heavy, but uh, I believe you. Yeah, as I say, if you dig in deeper into the CICD stuff, trust me, that's where the real oomph is because you're spinning up like hundreds of VMs and stuff to test your same website on, you know, 50 different browsers at the same time, all automatically every time you hit commit. That's the kind of stuff you're paying for. Just, you know, automated okay. simulation okay. of, you know, your your app on 20 different things. You know, It's amazing what you can do on, on the pro end of GitHub. Shocking. Wonderful shocking. Anyway, mm. so... One of the reasons Jekyll is such a really good fit for GitHub Pages is that it's supremely flexible. If you write your own HTML and you run it through Jekyll, Jekyll doesn't touch it. Jekyll goes, oh, okay, this is already HTML. I'll just pass it through. So you can use GitHub Pages without realizing it's an SSG. You can just use it to publish HTML unchanged. It's just free web hosting for a static okay. website. Or you can write a file that is Markdown and Jekyll goes, ah, a Markdown file. I know what to do with you. And it converts it to HTML for you. So depending on what you want, you can either have Jekyll not do anything or have Jekyll do everything. So from the point of view of us publishing our little web apps, we just want to just publish it. I've written it. It's ready. Just publish it. So we just end our file in .html, .css, .js, .jpg. Jekyll will see those file extensions and go, oh, okay, hands off, no problem, and just pass them through. So our web apps hmm. that we've learned to write will just publish. But the show notes for Programming by Stealth are all published through GitHub Pages, and they're all written in Markdown. So we have Jekyll doing all the heavy lifting. Right. Well, our web apps, it will be doing heavy lifting because it's going to create those dynamic sites. I mean, it's there's JavaScript running, so it's interpreting that and displaying the HTML. So it, no, 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 no. JavaScript runs in the browser. JavaScript runs in the browser. The server just hands it over. <sighs> the browser's doing all the work. Client side, client side. You know, we've, we've been living in the client side. Our browsers do the work. The server does nothing for us. Oh, we're going to have to walk through this a little more uh, okay. <laughs> before it'll get into my brain. So uh, I've got a JavaScript file that's sitting on the web server, mm -hmm. and that JavaScript file is telling the web browser how to, or it is it is telling something how to generate the HTML. The browser. So the browser. Okay. So what actually happens is the browser gets handed the HTML. The HTML says, go fetch that JavaScript file. The browser fetches the JavaScript right. file. The browser then, so the web server just sees the JavaScript file as text and just hands it back to the browser. The browser then runs the JavaScript. Well, I should have realized this sooner. I see what you're saying, though. I mean, I'm sure you've probably also said it before, but everybody stop yelling that in your phones. Um <laughs> It takes time for these okay. things to, it, it, it's not obvious. It, it's really not obvious. That's why, this is why you are such a valuable addition to this show, because it's really important we repeat these things. Because it's not, you know, it becomes second nature after you repeat it a hundred times. 
What right, but right now it's just been magic for me. Exactly. I mean, I, you probably told us this back when we typed .js the first time on the file name. Absolutely, know? but that's the, don't don't yeah. don't feel bad about that. It really isn't obvious. It takes time to figure it out, and that's why I like doing this now because this is really solid foundation laying for moving on to PHP. Because it's going to become very important for us to realize where what's happening when we start to work on both sides of the equation. Because when we're yeah. writing, we can write PHP to write JavaScript. And then you have code <laughs> to make code, right? You see how you can very quickly start getting your head in a mess if you're not very careful okay, about so, what's so happening a, where? A stake in the ground right now, yes. a stake in the ground right now is a valuable stake to say, okay, Maybe. remember where we were, because we're just, we're going to go around in a circle and say the opposite in a few minutes. Okay. Correct. Interesting. Interesting. So, uh, okay. So the, the key point is, if you just put, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, JPEGs onto GitHub pages, Jekyll will leave them untouched and just serve them as a static site. If you put markdown files, Jekyll will convert them to HTML for you, which is how our show notes work. Right. Now, just to not go too far down the road of this is the nirvana that solves everything, I know when mm -hmm. I've asked you about some things that I think could be changed on uh, pbs.bartificer.net, which is where all these show notes are, mm -hmm. it's been, oh, I'm going to have to deal with Jekyll, and that's really hard, and please don't make me right now. I'll do it later. Like right. the tab has said, under construction for three years. Not anymore. Or two years, however long it's been. Right, right. But it was a, it was a, it wasn't magically done correctly. It had to be it had to be beat into submission. Yeah. So by default, a GitHub Pages site looks awfully like your the front page of a GitHub repository, which has a markdown file called readme.md that gets turned into a web page. So by default, that's what GitHub Pages will do. That same style, okay. very, very plain, white, no unopinionated, very bland, Okay, which has advantages. As a default, that's a good default. I didn't want our show notes looking like that. So I went into those weeds I keep mentioning, very deep into those weeds mm -hmm. I keep mentioning. And it was my first ever time in those weeds. And as a neophyte flailing around in the weeds, yes, the theme looks pretty. It's got some technical debt because I didn't entirely okay. know what I was doing. And at the moment, I know what needs to be fixed. But unfortunately, it's quite a big fix because there's technical debt of my own making because it's my first ever Jekyll theme. So until I pay down the technical debt, it's actually more difficult than it should be to alter the template for show notes. Okay. Okay. And if anyone but if we use it as in its more simplistic form... We should be okay. Correct. Also, if you don't want to roll your own, there's actually a gallery of themes at your disposal, as we'll discover shortly. But I, the, the Programming by Stealth page is extremely bespoke, right? It, it is a completely custom theme. Okay. Okay. So I won't that, go down that road. Guaranteed. I, it, it's not the first place to go, I would say. But I, mm -hmm. do like, I do like where, you know, I do like our page. It just needs a little bit of technical yeah. debt paid down. Right, so, and it's getting there. It is no getting longer there. Under, under construction on the tabs. <laughs> Correct. So the other thing to say is that GitHub Pages is powered by Jekyll, but there's a bit more to it than that because GitHub actually extended Jekyll by adding additional features of their own. So anything you can do with Jekyll, you can do with GitHub Pages. 
But anything you can do with GitHub Pages, you can't necessarily do with someone else's Jekyll installation. Because GitHub have added okay. their own extra features. And one of their own extra features is they have a, a custom theme, which is nice and vanilla. They also have a gallery of other themes you can pick from. And if you're prepared to get into the weeds, you can use anything you like. You can write your own from scratch or you can link. There's actually a way to say, use this GitHub, use this repository over here as the theme, which is actually Ooh. how R1 works. Because I published our theme as a separate GitHub repository called something very sensible like, what is it? Uh, Bartificer-Jekyll-Theme is the GitHub repository. So anyone can look at how terrible my first ever attempt at writing a custom Jekyll theme is. You can see all of that, (laughs) all of my foibles. They're all there for everyone to see. Um, Anyway, so... Another nice free feature you get from GitHub Pages is that they partnered with Let's Encrypt. So you get free HTTPS as well. Oh, that's nice. And you don't have to faff about with renewing a free cert or any of that nonsense. In fact, if you don't use a custom theme, uh, sorry, if you don't use a custom domain, if you just use the default domain they give you, which is at uh, github.io, then you have no choice. Your site is secure whether you like it or not. The checkbox is actually grayed out if you if you just use their domain. <laughs> That's cool. They put it in there and then grayed it out. Yeah. But it, just to make a point. Exactly. So by default, your website will be published at username.github.io forward slash repository name. So if your if your GitHub user is Smarty Pants and your repository <laughs> is Boogers, then the matching GitHub pages will be HTTPS colon slash slash smartypants.github.io forward slash boogers. You wouldn't have just listened to an episode or read something I've written by picking smarty pants, would you? <laughs> no, I can't imagine where that came from. Um, however, if you're prepared to do the shockingly hard work of making one DNS entry, you can run your GitHub pages from any domain you own or a subdomain of any domain you own. And it really is one DNS record and they'll tell you what it is. It's a CNAME record and they tell you, you know, your name, the CNAME points to, and they'll tell you what to point it to. So it's very And GitHub tells you how to do that? Yeah. GitHub will tell you cool. what the A record, the CNAME record should point to. So that is how pbs.bartificer.net is powered by GitHub pages. It is simply a DNS record I added. And if you add your own DNS record... So that's not a redirect, exactly. It is not a redirect. It is a C name. So you're basically saying, this website is hosted by that server. Oh, okay. Okay. Again, separating the domain name from the content. So the content is on GitHub, but the domain name is is yours from your domain name host. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So... That is how pbs.artificer.net is published on GitHub, despite not having a github.io URL. So it's just one DNS entry. Cool. Very easy to set up. And the other nice thing is that even if you go with your own domain, that tick box for having HTTPS for free via Let's Encrypt is still there. And in fact, you oh, can, you can nice. choose to be insecure if you want to. But you can have your free cert even if you're using, even using your own domain, which is very nice. So should you fancy going into the weeds, I have collected together a list of very, very useful links. So there is the official Jekyll documentation, which is actually quite good. Uh, Jekyll uses a templating engine, which is similar enough to Mustache to confuse you, but it's actually different. It's called Liquid, and it's written by Shopify and open sourced by Shopify. 
So it's basically what powers all the oh. Shopify websites out there, which is pretty decent pedigree. Uh, there's also documentation from GitHub themselves on how pages works. And then finally, GitHub has its own flavor of Markdown with some extensions beyond vanilla Markdown. So the GitHub Markdown documentation is always handy to have to hand so that you know how to do tables and the fancy pants stuff. Yeah, okay. Right. Cool. So, but we're this- not going to go down any of that. You're saying, here's the links, have at it if you want to. Bing, bing, bing. Exactly. So all we're going to do today is just turn it on and show you how it works. So in, to, to, you can enable a GitHub pages on any publicly visible repo or any private repo if you pay money. So it's controlled per repository. So the settings are not in your account settings. They're in the repository settings. So you access them by clicking the settings button in the repository. And then once you're in the settings, there's an entire page within the settings area dedicated to GitHub Pages, which has a title Pages. So there's a a screenshot in the show notes showing a dummy repository I created. um, And it just shows where the settings button is. And then once you're in the settings, it shows you where you'll find the Pages button. Okay. The first thing you have to tell it to enable GitHub Pages is where it should find the content. What do you want me to publish? So the first choice you have to make is which branch you want published. And the most normal thing in the world is just to say, work off my main branch, please. But you can also get very fancy pants and do something we have not talked about called an orphaned branch, which is a branch that isn't connected to main in any way. And it just sits there in this weird limbo next to main with no connection to main. And you can have your documentation on this like weird parallel universe inside your repository. You can do that if you like. It's like a detached head, detached feet, de- detached elbows. Branch. Yeah, it's called okay. an orphan branch. So you okay. you can create Sad. one. I think it's minus minus orphan, I think is, is the Git flag. You can do that if you like. Plenty of documentation. In fact, the GitHub pages documentation will tell you how. Uh, It's more common, though, to use your main branch and then either publish the entire main branch or publish one folder of the main branch. And the folder you publish is called docs. That is a special folder. So So why would you choose to do your whole uh, directory repo versus just uh, the docs folder? Okay, so if the aim of the exercise is to publish a web app, then... Publishing the whole thing makes sense. If the aim of the exercise is to publish a homepage for the project or the documentation for the project, then it makes sense to publish the subfolder. So if I want my clock to be out there for someone to push buttons and find out what time it'll be in New Zealand when it's 3 a.m. my time, then I want to do it in docs. No, the opposite. Right? The whole point of the repo is to publish something to the world. If you had written... Alison's library for making knitting instructions that you mm-hmm. wanted people to be able to use your library in their own code, then mm-hmm. all you would want GitHub pages for would be to either publish a homepage describing how great Alison's library is and or publishing the docs that says you call this function, it takes these arguments. So the main purpose of the repo is to publish code, but you're also putting up a website to advertise your code. So you switched over to this fictitious thing, and I don't know how it correlates. Let's go back to I've got 
I've got HTML and JavaScript files that that create uh, a web app that is this clock that when you look at the mm-hmm. HTML, you put type in cities and you find out what time mm-hmm. it is. I, I would think that if I'm publishing the web app so that people can use it, then you would want the that to be a page that right, was but generated you want to publish by the, the entire code. repo. The point of the repo is to make something that people can use, therefore publish the repo, publish the whole route. If the point okay. is to publish a library that other people can incorporate, right? You're, if you're publishing something to be used directly, so your time calculator is for direct use, right? Right. The end user uses your calculator. Okay, so the web page needs to be the code. Right, that's the thing you're trying to share is the working web page. Okay, and if I, want to, if I want to publish a page that tells people about it, then I would do docs. Right, exactly. So if you're okay. jQuery... The main purpose is to publish jQuery, which is not directly usable. Then the main content of your repo is jQuery, and the docs folder is just the web page. But if you're okay. trying to publish a working web app, the main purpose is the working web app. So just publish the whole thing. Can you do really. both of them? Can you have one of each? Well, you can have, it's a per repository thing. So what does my repository No, but I'm saying for? one repo that has a, a web page that tells everybody all about it and publishes the... Well, yes, but then you're doing that inside one instance of GitHub Pages, right? So GitHub Pages is a website, which you can then put folders in. So you would then choose inside your one website to have multiple folders that do different things. But it's one GitHub Pages. Hmm. Yeah, I don't see how that would work. But that, maybe I'm muddling it by asking for both. Okay, you, you, it's okay. Yeah, we're we're running here and a little too soon, maybe. Okay, okay. But the, the question to ask yourself is, what is this repository for? If the repository is for something users use directly, publish the whole thing. If the repository okay. is for something that a developer would use to make something a user would use, then only publish the docs folder. Okay. It seems to me the docs folder they can already see at the, at the repo. So I don't see but what they, good that It's not does. live. If you, if you go to the docs folder in the repo, you see the HTML you, or the markdown. You don't see a working web page. But they're docs, so you'd be... But they're not. They could be written in markdown. They could be written in anything. So if you want to see it as an actual web page with pointy, clicky, look pretty, then you need them rendered. So you need them okay. published. Hmm. Okay, try this. Go to the, go to the repository for PBS. Just go to, okay. the, to the normal GitHub page for PBS. Okay. And then you're going to see at the top of the page the list of folders. And one of those yes. folders is called Docs. Right. And click I go into Docs. And now click on PBS 11. Right. Do you see a pretty see web page? Beautifully, or... I do. Because it's rendered the markdown for me. Can you easily, okay, but does it look with the nice little little blue man with the convenient links and It stuff? does not have your theme. No, it doesn't have your theme, but it's got links and it, I can download the MP3 for the file. I can click on this link here that takes me to the third installment. Can you get it's back got to some markdown sort of page for the code. that lists all the installments? If I, yeah, I've got a breadcrumb at the top. I can go to docs. Okay, I mean, we go back to docs. You're not getting an index page, right? You're, you're seeing the source code. Okay, yeah, but GitHub I can go to index.md. Little... I can go to index.md and it's got all of the docs. 
It's got all okay, of the uh, being too clever by half here. If they were HTML files, you'd just be seeing the HTML code. Um, but that's not the same as a published website, right? You're looking at... Correct, correct, correct. It's not the same as a, as a published website, so it's not as clean as that. But right. I think that's what was confusing me was that Mar- that uh, GitHub does all this work, a lot of the work for us on that. Yeah, GitHub is being far too clever by half here to... Well, no, it's really nice that it's clever by half, but it does rather confuse things. Okay. All right, so back to where we were. So we we selected the repo that we were going to work on. We told it which branch to be on, and then we're going to select either uh, a slash for root or we're going to go to docs. And if we want to publish our web app for somebody to poke and prod and enjoy, we want to go with root. Correct. And then you okay. just hit save. That's kind Can of Can I do this live? Do, if you like. I'm doing it. Well, it's ready. Nocellacast.github.io slash... Time dash shifter dash clock. There you go. Let's see if it does it. And hopefully that's going to be V1 because <laughs> site not found. You said it takes a little while? It might take a little while because it is running it through a, um, it is building it through Jekyll after all. Yeah. Okay. So once you hit save, now at the top of the page, as you've just seen, it will tell you the URL for your site and a few extra buttons have appeared, including the oh, great. clock's up. There you go. So that wow. wasn't too long. No. So it, now you have extra options on that settings page. Um, one of them is the grayed out option to turn off HTTPS. And the other one is a text box into which you can type a domain name. Oh, okay. And if you do that and hit save, it will then tell you the DNS record you need. And it will hmm. test if the DNS record exists. And if the DNS record does not exist, it will go a horrible shade of red and be all angry at you until the DNS record does exist, and now it'll go a happy shade of green. And until the DNS record exists, the, HTML, the HTTPS text box will be grayed out and off because they can't generate a certificate for your domain until the domain is properly configured. And hmm. then when the domain is properly configured, they have a 24-hour cooling off period, and then they will do a Let's Encrypt for you. Nice. Yeah. And that is really as simple as it is. So that's it. That is how you use GitHub pages. It could have, this so, entire installment could have been go to settings, click pages, turn it on. That could have been the entire click, installment. Click root. Yeah, yeah. But I like understanding what's going on under the hood. Now, it does not appear to have themed mine in any way, shape, or form, which is what I wanted. Correct, because it's an HTML file, right? Remember, I was saying Jekyll will just pass HTML without footsing with it? Yeah. Yeah, I That's thought it point. would still put it in some sort of thing. No, 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 no. When I so, said hands off, I meant hands off. Jekyll will just publish it. So how does it end up with the theme? It, the show notes are not HTML files. They're Markdown. So it has to be Markdown for in order Jekyll, for a theme to go into it? Yes. Or no, it doesn't have to. But in terms of avoiding the weeds, I don't want us to get tangled in. It does. <laughs> So anyone huh. listening who really knows how Jekyll works knows that you can force Jekyll to render HTML. Not going there. Right. For our point for our purposes, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, JPEG just go through unchanged. Markdown gets mean? changed. You meant jQuery, right? No. Not JPEG? I meant JPEG. You can put images on your web page. Okay. Okay. But if you any markdown you use, if the if the pages in Markdown, even if it ref- references a JPEG, that, that Markdown will will then be themed. 
Correct. Unless unless you oh. go out of your way, the weeds also allow you to say don't mess with the markdown, which is a weird... That just right. seems like a very odd way to separate those two things, to have one have a theme and one not, just because of the language you wrote it in. Okay, but think about it. A website is HTML. If it's already HTML, then the work is done. If it's not HTML yet, then it should do something. A okay, browser so wants HTML. A do I have what the browser wants or do I not? If I have what the browser wants, I'll just give it. If I don't, I better make it. That's the logic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm following. Yeah. Okay. So as a simple worked example, because why the hell not? Um, I decided to resurrect our Hello World example that we've been using since installment 104 and adding more and more silly things to, or a little carousel and stuff. And just publish it as pbs118-demo. Um, so I started by logging into GitHub as myself, bboshots. I created a new repository called pbs118-demo. Uh, I ticked the boxes to add a readme and a license, which in hindsight I shouldn't have done. But I did anyway, because I wasn't. I was going on the fly here by the seat of my pants. And the result is a really boring website or a really boring repository with just some default content. And I was actually going to write a whole new web app. And then I realized that it was two o'clock in the afternoon and I needed to be finished by three o'clock in the afternoon. That probably wasn't a good idea. So I resurrected (laughs) the code I'd written before. Uh, And because I don't clean up after myself, I actually had the repository sitting right here on my Mac just as I'd left it, pbs105a-nas.git. Uh, oh. <laughs> so, so all I did was I cha- I opened the terminal, I went to that folder, I created a new remote named pbs118github, I did a fetch, and then a force push, and I stomped over my default readme and license file with the content from this local repository. So why fetch before stomping? Uh, because I always fetch first. I probably, I, in hindsight, I probably could have stomped without fetching. Okay. But Git usually prefers to know what's going on. Now, as it happened, uh, when I tried to push it without stomping, Git was like, uh, no, you're about to completely replace this repository. That's a destructive act. And I was like, I know, I want to be destructive. So, so I went minus minus force. I was like, <laughs> was as if I hadn't okay. initialized the repository with the default stuff. Okay. So we, none of us would probably run into that particular scenario. No, because if I created the repository, okay. not takes the box to, pr- to pre-prepare it with default stuff, I could have just done a normal push. And it would have existed and it would up have, there. And it would have just gone, oh, okay, you want me to create this repository from this other repository? Grad, no problem. And it would have just taken all those commits. Right, and it would have known it's remote and, and all that. But now, by doing it this way, you've got all of the uh, history of the development of that PBS118-demo. I do indeed. Exa- okay. That's exactly the, the power of what I just did, because I was in PBS1115A-NAS.Git, which has a full history, and then I pushed the entire main branch, which means every single commit just up it went. And so, indeed, hmm. I did. I just made the entire new repository contain the history of everything we've been working on for months. So something just occurs to me. If you're doing the show notes in Markdown and they're, they're managed as GitHub pages, mm-hmm. when you say download the bundle file here, where does that bundle file live? Ah, so everything you store... So that bundle file is sitting in 
the docs folder. Which is why you okay. can never find it. Because you're always confused <laughs> where it is, so it's in the docs folder. Okay. Okay. All right. So, so I, what I was looking for was: are these are the uh, P- PBS show notes truly wholly contained? So yes. that if you stopped paying for Bartificer.net, they would still exist. Well, yes, because everything... you'd have trouble with the C name and all that. But yes, everything for them exists in that folder called Docs, mm-hmm. and you could take another copy of Jekyll and run it on that exact code. And out would come HTML files that you could upload to any web server on planet Earth. So actually, I could fork the PBS show notes and put them up on a repo that I call "I wrote all this stuff." You could, and then and then publish it and just change your name in one of you know somewhere. Absolutely, you could. There is no technological okay. restriction against that. It would breach the open source license we published the show notes under. It would be piracy, but it would be one hundred percent technically possible. Yeah. I single-handedly did this podcast. That's what I'm going to call it. (laughs) (laughs) Subtle, subtle. Um, With the benefit of hindsight, all of my work could have been done in one git command, which is why git rocks. I could have said git space push, the full URL of my new repo, space main space minus minus force. And that would have taken everything I just stomped it over my repository in one go. Yeah, that would have been a little bit cleaner, huh? Yeah. So then once that was done, I went to the web interface. Remember we said last week that the web interface is fine for quick edits? I went to the web interface, I edited the installment numbers, and uh, that was it. So at that point in time, you can now browse to Bart- sorry, bbooshots.github.io forward slash pbs118-demo, and you can see the silly Hello World page, published to the world. Yeah, look at that. So that is GitHub Pages. And so you publish your clock. Um, any of us can publish anything we've written as part of the series. So your currency converter, your the clock, anything you like can just be published that easily on GitHub pages. Yeah, I'm thinking the the thing that I'm always struggling with is I would like a way to have the page be the the thing I think is ready to go, and then have uh, what does Dorothy call it? The monkey test. Where where I let her poke it and break everything uh, and have Helma break things. And Steve is very, very good at breaking things. So being able to publish that branch would be handy. Can you switch it up anytime you want? Just go, nope, now I want it to be this branch. Hmm. <laughs> Probably <Yes-ish>. yes. <laughs> y- yes, but you're biting off a chunk because what you would then need to do basically is you would pu- you would change it to not publish the real branch and then you would add in some pre some pre-exec actions that would take the main branch and put them in one folder and then your beta branch so you'd need to create a second branch called beta and then you'd publish the beta branch to a second folder all in the one github pages oh wow you can do okay. that, right? Because you can have automations that happen the moment you hit commit. So you just mm-hmm. have to write basically, a, they're called commit hooks. So when you hit commit, it would copy the main branch to one folder and your beta branch to the other folder. And then the whole lot gets published as one GitHub page of site. So you go to forward slash beta to see the test monkey version, or you leave mm-hmm. out the forward slash beta to go to the normal version. 
So the answer is yes, but not by pointy clicky. There's a little bit of jiggery okay. pokery. And we've kind of sort of have a hint of this jiggery pokery because every time you hit commit or I hit commit, Helma has wired up our repository to run a spell checker and tell us all how dumb we are. <laughs> right. Right. That same mechanism. That's after both of us have proofread it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Both of us have proofread it and missed all the typos. Um, so that same mechanism for doing that spell check could be used to do this kind of copying and so forth to, you know, to publish a real version and a beta version. I mean, you can do very powerful things with GitHub Actions. Okay. Uh, one last question. I know we're t- we're trying to get out of here, but uh, the only branches I have a choice of are master because I started this long before main existed, mm-hmm. and none. Okay, if you were to create an orphan branch called gh pages, that would show up as an option. The, the, so even though I have other branches, it's only, it only sees master and none. Correct, because it's it, okay. So just like you can only use the docs folder. You can only use a specially named orphan branch or your default branch. What happens if you pick none? <laughs> then you have no site. None means there is nothing published. Why, do you, why is that an option for what to well, publish? What if you don't want to get her pages? What if you have a repository that you don't want a page for? Well, don't go into this and start pu- pushing buttons. Okay, but then. what if you do it and then you went, oh, goodness me, my boss is really angry at me. I've just published stuff I shouldn't have. How do I unpublish it? Oh, okay. That's the undo button, right? (laughs) That's the make it go away. That's the put it back to where it came from. Good to know. Good to know. Well, in the next, I figure, eight months, I'll have uh, finished Clock 2.0, Time Shifter Clock (laughs) 2.0. You can publish it to the world. And I'm happy to help out with the the very straightforward DNS records to publish it to somewhere nice. Okay, cool. Well, I actually already have it up. Uh, I have it on my, uh, I have a web apps section in podfeed.com and I do redirects to them, but I might do it this too. It'd be fun to have it in two places. Well, yeah. And then you can just update it with a commit, right? Yeah. Yeah. That is kind of nice. Yeah. It's not good when I update things because it's always broken. I just think <laughs> it's so funny when you talk about when it's finished. It's like, really? What, when does that happen? When does it actually work all the way? Finished is a very And I don't mean concept. slight enhancements. Yeah, yeah, it is fungible, but it it's entirely broken is what I'm a little more familiar with. Doesn't work at all. That Complete is a, and utter disaster. That I'm is a that. very, 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 very important life phase of the journey of a developer. That is, that is, that is, that is a, you know, the way in the olden days, if you wanted a career, you started off as a journeyman and then you became an apprentice and then you became a master. A really big mm-hmm. part of the journeyman slash apprentice phase is it's broken. Always. <laughs> That's how you, that, that is normal. I'm still that a is, developer. I'm just a, I'm just an, a journeyman a, apprentice de- uh, developer at this exactly. point. Exactly. I mean, that is the road. Like, there is no, such, you're never finished learning, right? No mm-hmm. such thing as, as being done, right? There is no finished. I am becoming, a. De- there's no finished becoming a developer. It is a road that continues forever. But there are definitely phases you go on. And one of those phases is definitely everything's broken always. That's that's how you learn. <laughs> well, I, I, I do have another phase I'm in. I call it so close. <laughs> I was so close on Monday morning. I almost sent it to you. And then uh, uh, Helma started poking it. And it was just like, 
this isn't doing the right things at all. Like, not, I, was I drinking last night when I thought I was so close? <laughs> What's this so one little thread? Uh, just pink. And <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, and I I tried to fix it, and uh, it, no one will also get to see this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a a screenshot I sent to Helma to show her what's happening in my clocks now is basically the, the enhancement just for anybody who cares is that it has two clocks by default, but now uh, my new version you can add multiple clocks, so you can add lots of cities, so you can have eight different cities, and you want to find out what time it will be when it's two o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday at your house, and none of the clocks when you copy the URL and go to the and then send it to somebody none of the clocks are where they're supposed to be so clock one goes to where clock three was half of clock two goes up to clock seven <laughs> there's some sort of out by one error or something yeah there's a little out by one and then some complete invention of other clocks defaults are sneaking in certain clocks aren't there at all anymore i it's uh yeah there is a pattern i have not yet uh, had the time to look well, at it's it just, and fix you know it, helma's so. drawn the arrow or someone's drawn the no arrows i drew that yeah, and the I, arrows I, I, have a distinct patterny look to them. So there's something going on. But yeah, it's. I will yeah. say though that the bootstrap has made it all look very pretty. <laughs> it's beautiful anarchy. So uh, I'll I'll be creating a sub branch called So Close. <laughs> That's a good name for a branch. I still go with Whip, which is my euphemism for broken. But anyway, yeah. um, so as I say. I'm not ruling out digging in in more detail in future installments. Um, I think somewhere we're likely to end up is this concept of automatically making documentation out of your comments. I think we're likely to revisit that at some stage in our journey to X, whatever X happens to be. But for now, I'm going to draw a line under the GitHub pages and just basically say, we can use this to easily publish the stuff we're playing with for free. And it is just a case of pushing a few buttons. So that means we are ready to wrap up our exploration of Git with the place we were trying to get to, right? We wanted to get to a point where we could interact with the open source community. And so that is where we're going next time. And we're, gonna, we're going there in to, to deal with three nice, easy use cases. So hmm. the first level of engagement is simply use other people's code, right? Just they published it on GitHub. I want to use it. That's level one. Level okay. two is I'm using it. Um, it almost does what I want, but I want like my custom version of it one tweak. So you're taking their stuff and adding in an optional extra just for you. And you're not sharing it with anyone. You're just adding in a little tweak just for you. Okay. And then the third level, the, the nirvana of open sourcing is... You're using someone else's code, you find a bug or a missing feature, you fix the bug or create the feature, and then you submit the code back for incorporation Mm. into the open source project. So that's the third tier. So use it as is, use a custom version just for yourself and customize it for everyone. Or contribute. That sounds fine. Yeah. So anyway, that's what we're off to next. After that, we go to PHP. After that, we have something very interesting I've been itching to do for ages. A crossover. We're we're doing this whole cartoon thing where two universes cross over. There is a thing that I have been dying to tell you about, and you're going to love this because it's going to make switching Macs easy. There's a thing called Chez Moi, which allows you to control the dot files in your Macs and synchronize them between all of your computers using Git as the backend. It allows you to version control 
your .ssh files and all those kind of things, your SSH, you know, all of that stuff. But it uses Git as the back end. So it's a terminal command for doing really terminally stuff, but it uses Git as the back end. So I couldn't do it in taming the terminal until I could link to, and here's how Git works. Okay. And I've been really meaning dying to do it because it it has made such a difference to my work life because I have multiple I have multiple devices I you know I just I need to keep my dot files in sync, and so I've been itching to tell you about it. But until we do Git, I can't. So we're going to have a crossover. We're probing by stealth and taming the terminal unite to teach Ooh. us about chase moi, and then we really we really change. Then we we go into a whole new phase and we do PHP. So we. By the way, anybody who speaks French is going to want me to correct you right now. It's Shay. You don't say the Z. That is true. Chez moi is my house. Yes. <laughs> Which is, you know, home folder, Chez moi. It's a, it's a clever name. Yeah. Well, it's a great name. I, I, uh, I love the idea of this because in my mind map of Doom for when I do clean installs, there's yeah. a big section of don't forget to go get those dot files because you'd be really sorry and sad when you can't reproduce this because you don't remember how you did it when Bart taught you in Taming the Terminal 17, you know. Yep. I find myself in that situation going, why, like, recent example, right, you, you're recently talking about, why isn't, why aren't my SSH passwords being remembered in the keychain? Mm-hmm. Because there's a, We just ran into that. Yeah, exactly. So there's a thing in your dot files you're supposed to set up to tell SSH to save stuff into the keychain by default. It's in a config file somewhere. I don't remember where I do this once every 10 years. Well, right. I recently got a new work Mac and I was all cranky about it. But then I was like, oh, wait, I'm just going to add the SSH config into Shemois and I'll never have to do this again. So I did. And yeah, also, excellent. if you make a mess of your dot file and completely break your whole computer, you just go into Git and roll back a version. Nice, nice. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> okay, anyway, you need to go to the zoo. Lucky you. I am going to the zoo with my granddaughter. So, yes, that's a high priority. Well, that is much higher priority than me prattling on about stuff we'll do in the future. Your appetite is sufficiently whetted. So with that, I shall leave you all and say until next time, happy computing. If you learn as much from BART each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.